You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. By the time economists figure out whether or not we're in a recession, it's often too late. The most vulnerable in society are already feeling the effects, and everyone else is starting to feel the squeeze too. And despite what some financial influencers will tell you, it's almost impossible to coupon your way out of poverty. Quitting that once a week coffee is unlikely to get you your dream home when prices rise faster than wages. And brown paper bagging your lunch won't turn you into a millionaire overnight. Which is why I'm looking forward to chatting today with a financial expert who has practical advice for Canadians of all tax brackets who may be worried about their financial future. So instead of feeling dejected and wallowing in fear, please listen along and you might learn something. Because no matter how bad your situation may be, there's always a way forward. Hi, my name is Takara Small, sitting in for Jordan Heath Rawlings, and this is The Big Story. Today I'm chatting with Kelly Keene, a personal finance educator and best-selling author of over 10 finance books. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Takara. I'm, you know, looking forward to our chat because there's been a lot of economic doom and gloom in the news lately. So it's really great to talk to someone like yourself who can break everything down. Great to be with you. So first question, you know, I have to ask, what are some of the signs to look out for in our own lives uh, that show we've entered a recession? Yeah, and that's such an interesting question. Now, I think the, the really good news story right now is that unemployment is so incredibly low. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the latest numbers are, you know, we haven't seen this low since since the 1970s, which is fantastic. And that's really what's going to happen, you know, help a lot of people weather high inflation, increasing interest rates. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't still recession-proof yourself. So what what does that mean? Let's talk about your job first. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means, you know, maybe thinking of it more, I mean, I have an entire book on this, thinking of your career as kind of like a business. Like, you know, is there volunteer work that you want to do to really round out your skill set? Are there skill gaps that Maybe, you know, you might take an an actual course this summer or fall or a LinkedIn course, Um, you know, just increasing your network. I think LinkedIn, again, is really great for that. And then when it comes to your personal finance, it's just a, a really always an important time to look at your emergency savings account, if that is non-existent, how do you get one established? How mm-hmm. do you maybe uh, fluff it back up if you actually, you know, had to squash it during the pandemic? And really looking at cash flow and, and what does that look like for, for you and your family as we move forward? Because are we in a recession? Are we facing a recession? Depends what economists you listen to. But people are feeling pretty scared, especially with uh, seeing the newest inflation numbers out uh, that it seems to be going nowhere but up. I really do like what you said about treating your career like a business, because if you are laid off, you are going to have to re-enter the job market and you're going to have to, you know, it, take a look at your resume one more time. You might want to add things to it. So it's really smart to think of, to be proactive on that front. The last recession in 2008, what did that teach us? Um, you know, who was hit the hardest? Um, what lessons can we learn from that? Yeah, it, that was a very interesting time. And and uh, at the time, I was a contributor for CNBC out of New York. So I was going back and forth between the U.S. and Canada 
uh, really looking at how our countries weathered that storm. And it did, it did not hit us as hard here in Canada. It really hit the Americans hard. I mean, I saw the foreclosure signs um, and they learned their lesson. Like, mm. I don't know the numbers today of how much we're indebted uh, compared to disposable income, but we used to be a, a nation of savers. We used to have far less debt than our neighbors to the South. And when that, when 0809 hit, the Americans really got it. And their, you know, debt to, to disposable income is so much less than ours. We're very indebted as a nation with mortgages and consumer debt. And I remember at the time, Takara, like there was, you know, Toronto Life had a, 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 this amazingly fabulous couple on the cover and it said broke, you know. And it was a time where people were talking about cutting back. There was so much talk in the media of, you know, wealthy people couldn't afford their homes or if they were buying luxury items, they were hiding them from their friends and neighbors in generic bags. But as soon as things started to get better, it was like all of that went away. And we just very quickly yeah. forgot those lessons. And rightfully so. Like, I get it. You know, when when people are, are stressed financially, their focus narrows. Um, they're not able to see possibility. And as soon as things get a little bit better, it's just we quickly put it behind us. So what does that mean? What does that mean in practical terms? Well, it means that, you know, people just forgot it and mm -hmm. and and forgot how tough that time was and maybe how hard it was especially in the financial industry to 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 get your job back and and in all fairness you know the government really has incentivized Canadians to get into debt you know and and even looking at Tiff Macklem from the Bank of Canada his comments in his speech of July of 2020 was that interest rates are low, they're going to stay low for, you know, the foreseeable future. Well, how wrong was that? Right. And there's a lot of people really scrambling right now. So um, it's a very different time. And it's a very different time for a lot of Canadians because, you know, it's like inflation. What's that? That has never been something um, people 45 and under have really had to think about. We just heard that from our parents. Uh, so it's, it's really a very different time for a lot of people. And so you just mentioned interest rates and inflation. And there are a lot of people who have never had to live through something like this. And they're wondering, okay, why are we seeing prices rise? Like, why is this the response to an economy in trouble? Yeah. Well, we knew the pandemic would rear its head in, in, in unusual ways. So we've got so much going on right now. Again, I'm not an economist, but you know, we all know we're watching the news. There's a war in Ukraine. China has a zero COVID policy, which means that, you know, uh, just look at where most of your stuff around your home, what you're wearing. Look at the tag, right? Mm -hmm. It's made in China. So if those people can't work, can't leave their homes, uh, it creates uh, quite, quite uh, an issue for us getting those goods and services. And you know, just getting back to, to basics of, of, of economics, 101 is supply and demand. And when there is less supply and high demand, prices go up. 
So there's a couple of things, you know, there's there's uh, supply chain issues. So what that means is when we can't get things here and that makes it more expensive, especially if people want them. The more people want them, the more you can't get it here, the more uh, price goes up. And then there's what's called supply side issues. That's when things just can't be produced. Mm-hmm. You can't get a car because... 1,500 chips are required at least in in most cars, which is a shocking number. I remember hearing that thinking, wow, that's a lot of chips. I thought maybe it was like a couple. (laughs) So when a factory in Taiwan is really the only one that makes the chips and they're not making them fast enough or at all, you can see how all of a sudden that's an issue or food just isn't being produced because of the war in Ukraine. And then, you know, surging oil prices. There's just so much going on Mm -hmm. that it makes everything much more expensive. And then one of the tools that the Bank of Canada has to try to domestically, like in our country, tamp down inflation is raising interest rates. As it becomes more expensive for you to borrow money, to buy a home, a car, renovate your kitchen, things of that sort, people will do that less, then that cools the economy down a little bit and hopefully brings prices down. But the criticism is that does nothing for global inflation. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I don't know, I don't think it really makes any of us feel better that all countries in the world right now, I think all of them are dealing with inflation. Um, We're not the, the outlier there. So you know, really what are these increasing interest rates going to do for global inflation? That's one of the big criticisms as well. Uh, and and when will it actually reduce inflation in our country? Right. And in the interim, you have, you know, the average person who's feeling that pain, that financial pain, and they're unsure of what to do or how to weather the storm, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, brings me to my next question, which is, yes, interest rates are on the rise. Prices for everyday goods are also on the rise, um, but wages haven't necessarily risen as well. So what can people do who, you know, people who are listening thinking, I need to keep my head above water. How can I do that? Yeah, there's always, always lots that you can do. And like I said, you know, when you're stressed, especially when you're financially stressed, because that is one of the few stresses that um, bring a lot of shame and embarrassment and taboo to individuals. And they they talk less about their lack of money um, stresses than they maybe do about other stresses. So I really worry about people when it comes to financial stress that they just kind of, you know, isolate and, and don't get the help that they need. And it's, and it's interesting, Takara, there was this study years ago done with two groups of individuals that were at a simulated restaurant experience. One was the poor group. They were only given $20. One was the rich group. They were given $100. And then the researchers had heat-seeking sensors on their eyes to see where they actually went on the menu. And as you can appreciate, the, the, the poor group, control group, they only looked at the very top of the menu because they looked at appetizers, things of that sort. They just didn't have the money to even go down the menu. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the rich group had $100. They looked all over the menu. Now, that makes sense. But what's interesting was at the bottom of the menu, there was something that said, if you ask for a discount, you will receive it. <laughs> And the people that needed it the most, the people that didn't have the money, their eyes never even went down to the bottom of the menu to see that that was an option. So uh, that just illustrates in life 
Um, you know, when, when people are financially stressed, they don't realize that there are options out there. So what are they? You know, there's really two options. It's, it's cut your expenses and increase your income. And, and there's a few other things too that I can touch on. So when it comes to your expenses, I mean, some people are, you know, have cut as much as they can. There, there really is nowhere else left to cut. But for those that, you know, they kind of weathered the pandemic all right. I really encourage you to dig into your finances and and really look at, you know, I can certainly put my hand up that uh, my family and I subscribe to way too many subscriptions to get through the pandemic. We're now going through all of those to see how we signed up for them, what credit card we used and and, and cancel the ones we don't need. Um, You know, when we talk about cutting, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, not going out for coffee, not doing anything for the summer with your family. It can be calling up your cell phone provider, calling up your internet provider, seeing if you can get a better deal. I, I make my husband do this at least once every six months. He always comes back with either a uh, price savings or he comes back with, you know, extra data or some free movies thrown in, always something there. So when we say cutting, it might not actually be cutting. It might just be shopping around for new home or car insurance and getting a better better price or something of that sort. And then the, the next part of the ledger is bringing in more income. And, you know, it might not be the perfect situation, but I've, a lot of my readers have been reaching out saying, look, they got a second job, they got a third job, they've got a side hustle. Actually, 31% of Canadians during the pandemic had a side hustle. And you know, and they're being, they're able to enjoy their summer. They're able to bump up their emergency savings account with that side hustle. They're able to go on a little road trip with their family, a little dinner out with friends. So, you know, it's, it's maybe not perfect for a lot of people that already are stretched on their time, but that extra income can, can really bring in a lot. And it could be, you know, house sitting for the neighborhood, uh, you know, letting your neighborhood know that you're willing to house sit for their dogs and cats or, um, you know, one reader reached out, he started a dog walking company on the side during the pandemic. And he's so successful right now. He's buying vans. He's up to over $150,000 a year in revenue. Uh, and just having a blast actually quit his full-time job. And then the third part of that is if none of those work for you, or you're already doing all of that, is realizing that there's other options. It could be extending out your amortization on your mortgage so you can lower that monthly payment. It might be skipping a payment on your mortgage. If you're in good standing, you have your mortgage payments up to date and you're with one of the big banks, your mortgage contract probably allows you something called a skip a payment option, which you can skip one payment per year without penalty that's going to put thousands of dollars into your pocket right now that can help your family weather this inflationary storm. And all, and if none of that is possible, maybe you're a renter, you're behind on your credit cards, you know, talk to your lender, talk to your banker, make it their problem and see if they can help you defer payments, if, if maybe a consolidation loan is an option. And, and very lastly, if none of that is an option for you or it's just too stressful, reach out for help. Someone like a nonprofit credit counselor or an insolvency trustee, just because you reach out to these folks, it doesn't mean you have to go down that path, but they're going to help you expand that gaze, you know, um, you know, take that narrow focus out, let you know what your options are. You can even contact them anonymously if you don't want to give them your name, but just make sure that you do your research and, and try to get as much information as you can of all the options possible 
because there was that dire survey a few weeks ago from Manulife saying that one in four Canadians would actually said they would actually have to sell their home if interest rates kept increasing. And I worry that those people maybe have not looked at every option available to them. Um, I would really hope that it would be, you know, a, a last resort to sell your home because of rising interest rates. And so a lot of this advice, I think, could apply to an individual or to a family. Do you have any suggestions, tips for small business owners or for, you know, a lot of freelancers? There are a lot of individuals who have, you know, gone their own route and they have maybe a side gig, but they are freelancers at heart and they work for multiple clients. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's tough for sure. And as someone who's self-employed themselves, uh, I, I, I totally get it. So, I think it's kind of the same advice as it is for for individuals, right? It's like really cutting your expenses, which is very, very hard for a lot of people. Maybe they signed into a lease. Maybe they've got staff and it's 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 gut wrenching to have to let them go or for you know furlough them or what have you. Very, very hard decisions. But keeping in mind that, you know, if you're a business, you have a lot of hats that you wear. You want to serve your customers, serve the community, you want to make a difference, you probably have a mission and a passion. But at the end of the day, your bottom line, if you take all the emotions out, is you have to survive and make a profit. So if you're, you know, unable to do that, you have to make some tough, tough decisions. And, you know, what a lot of people have been reaching out to me as well, saying that, look, again, not perfect, not what they want to do, but maybe they're going back to a nine to five for a little bit. They've still got the side hustle. They've still you know, got their, their business at heart, but they're, they're finding that stable position for the short term that covers all of their expenses. And I think that's something that's really important too, during a time of financial stress is know your numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, know what you owe, know, know when your, your payment due dates are, throw those in your digital calendar. So you're not thinking about it. If possible, you're not missing those payments. And, you know, know how much you really need to survive. Like, if it's this much money per month and you could take uh, a nine-to-five for a little bit uh, and then, you know, work your company in the evenings and the weekends and that's going to help it survive in the long term, there's no shame in that. Uh, you know, it's not your fault that COVID happened. It's, it's, it's not your fault that businesses shut down for years. So, uh, and I think part of it too is just kind of, owning that and saying, okay, it sucks, but what can you do moving forward? Um, and for some people, it's just, you know, really having a, a, a soul-searching session of, you know, is that industry viable in, in, in the, the, the coming years? Is it, you know, you did everything right, but it's a blockbuster and people are on Spotify and on Netflix. Like, uh, we see industries changing so rapidly as well that sometimes it it's uh it just the cycle has has worked itself out and and there's n- nothing that you can do which is really hard for a lot of small business owners um so really kind of trying to spot those trends and see where you can take your skills and and what's transferable into other industries and other opportunities and 
for small business owners and individuals alike, you know, seeking out guidance, they'll sometimes turn to social media. I mean, there are many influencers who have made a lot of money, um, have a lot of followers by doling out advice. So one of the questions I I have and something I've seen online quite a bit um, is about now being the best time to invest, you know, buy low, sell high. Is that true? Is that good advice? Is it even applicable to our current situation? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I love that people are turning to social media. I think that's fantastic. Definitely any, any avenue that people are taking to learn about their finance is fantastic. I think the caveat I would put on that is, you know, when it, the same as kind of paralleling it to your health. Like, Anything, I'm sure, uh, I have a lot of family and friends that are medical professionals and would say, we love that people are paying attention to their health and and uh, increasing their fitness and eating better. But make sure you're listening to the experts. Make sure you're not taking um, too much advice from social media. Uh, I w- certainly wouldn't turn to social media for nutrition, for a prescription, for if it's for my health or for my finances. So, you know, buy low, sell high, these things sound super easy. And when people are making money at whatever it is, if it's crypto, if it's, um, you know, whatever is the newest thing out there, people are very quickly to share when they're doing really well. And they're very uh, shy to tell anyone when they've lost money. So just Mm. keep that in mind that, you know, investing doesn't have to be complex. Uh, I think the one of the best strategies, if you're thinking about getting in, is dollar cost averaging. And what does that mean? That means that you're buying every single month on a certain date. And regardless if the market is up or down, you're buying. And, and what's important about that is, is if you're just getting into investing at the end of the year, yes, you will not have done as well as if you could choose the low but also you're not doing as poorly as if you, you know, chose the high and no one can choose the high or the low. So you're smoothing out. Some months you're buying it on sale. Some months it's a little bit more expensive, but at the end of the year, you're smoothing out the, the, the highs and the lows. And, you know, I think strategies like that are super prudent. Um, I think if, if somebody's giving you advice that right now is the high or the low, or you should do this or that, or get in or out, and they can communicate it on a TikTok, <laughs> um, I think that's uh, unrealistic. But like I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan of people getting financial information wherever they can, whatever makes sense to them, whatever influencer speaks to them. Just make sure that you have sound principles, you understand your risk, you understand the potential return, the fees. And you're spending, uh, you know, some 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 quality research time on what you're getting into. And you know, for those who are listening and they don't have the money to invest, because I mean, as you mentioned before, there's no guarantee you can invest, and at the end of the year, you might have a loss. You you might not. Um, for people who are thinking, I don't have the resources to do that, but I do want to make sure that I'm being financially prudent. Should I save money or should I pay off debt? What would you say to someone who's thinking along those lines? And does your advice differ based on whether they're a student or they're a retiree or they have a stable job? Mm-hmm. 
a lot there. Again, that's like asking, uh, I don't know you. I haven't done any <laughs> diagnosis. And, you know, what's a great prescription for you? What are your problems? I mean, um, I've written 11 books for a reason <laughs> because there's a lot of complexity to it. And actually, my last two books, I have tons of case studies on exactly that. Um, but here's some, here's some rules to kind of think about. Uh, you know, first of all, everyone should have an emergency savings account, even if you have debt. Okay, wait, and I'm going to pause there. Like, how much should someone have in their savings account? Right. So in your emergency savings account, now, if you talk to a financial planner, they're going to say three to six months of your household expenditures should be in a safe account that's liquid. That means you can access it easily. Okay. Um, it's not locked up. It's not going to fluctuate with the stock market. Now, that's a big number for a lot of people, and it can yeah. feel really overwhelming. Uh, and actually, some industries, they recommend you should have a year. Um, it, it really depends how specialized your job is. And mm -hmm. if you were today to be laid off, how long do you think it would take you to get another job? But the reality is for some people, it might be a few hundred dollars. It might be under a thousand dollars. Like the point is, is to start it and to have that buffer. There's, you know, so many surveys bantered around all the time that 50% of Canadians are $200 away from not being able to pay their debt. So it's really important that you make that priority number one is you know, what you've determined for your family feels good, helps you sleep at night. If it's a few hundred bucks, if it's, you know, $10,000, it's $50,000, do everything you can to hit that number. Now, once you've got your emergency savings account um, set up, the question of paying down debt or to save or to invest, which is best for you. Now, what you want to also remember is that credit cards and lines of credit are what's called demand loans. Now, it doesn't happen a lot in Canada, but as we talked about earlier in the 0809 crisis, in the US, these demand loans were being called. So what does that mean? And it was happening a lot. So what that meant was you had a $10,000 credit card, it was maxed out. The bank was saying, "Look, we're reducing your available credit to $5,000. You're now $5,000 over limit. You've got to pay that immediately or pay the whole thing in full." Like people really need to understand that, you know, if you've got extra money, does it make sense to pay down that 24% high interest rate credit card? Yes. In theory, of course it does. Where can you get 24% guaranteed? Nowhere. So of yeah. course it makes sense. However, if you and your family are really struggling, you're worried about your job or you've already missed some payments, you've not been great with paying it. You want to make sure that you get some advice before you fully pay that off, if you're, especially if you're using your emergency savings to pay that off. So that's high interest rate credit cards. Now, let's say you've got a mortgage and you're like, should you pay off your mortgage or should you invest? Well, if it were a couple of years ago when interest rates were at rock bottom, most experts would say, no, don't pay your mortgage off. Uh, invest because you're probably going to do better in the long term than your two or three percent rate mortgage. But now that we're seeing mortgage rates increase, um, that's a different conversation. And that really requires crunching the numbers. There's no simple answer here. You've got to get, there's a million great online calculators. And if you want a bias-free resource, just Google the financial, this is a mouthful, <laughs> the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. 
This is a branch of our government. They have done a marvelous job. They have every possible calculator you could you could wish for. Paying down your mortgage versus investing. How to afford your first car. Paying down credit card debt. Um, they've got everything there. And the numbers will reveal to you what makes most sense. But just, you know, flippantly going, oh, I'm going to pay down my dad or I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, it, all of those moves need a little bit of investigation for sure. Of course, yeah. And I, I really do appreciate that you're treating it like a prescription. It's based on everyone's situation, their current financial health. It's It can be challenging to, you know, just say this is the one size that fits all during, you know, what is a very unusual time right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who are listening and they're wondering, you know, when can we expect prices to fall or interest rates to the constant interest rate rise to come to an end? What would you say? Is is this even possible to predict? Yeah, it's not. Um, but I mean, the Bank of Canada is hoping that these increases, they're calling it front loading, meaning that, the, you know, this was a very big hike that we saw huge for so many people. Yeah. Um, you know, they're hoping that that curtails inflation, I think, uh, in the coming months, early 2023. How much so, though? Who knows, right? Like, yeah. and then the question, too, begs of, well, that's domestically. Does that do anything for the goods and services that you're going to be bringing in from other countries? Um, obviously, our interest rate hikes have nothing to do with those prices. So it really is anyone's guess right now. And I'm going to end our conversation on perhaps a lighter note, I'm hoping. Um, all of this has been great advice, but I do want to perhaps end on something that gives our listeners some hope. So if someone's listening and they're feeling this dread, this doom and gloom, and they're scared and they're feeling hopeless, what would you say to them? Is there something to say that will help soothe their anxiety? Hundred percent. I mean, the hardest thing is looking at what's going on. It really is. It's kind of like you know January second and getting on the scale. <laughs> you just don't want to do it. I get it, and I wish I could be there to hold your hand to help you do it. Um, and it's it's e easier to stay in apathy, right? Just like watch Netflix and chill, have a glass of wine. Totally get that too. But to get to financial resilience, you have to remember you're going to go through a number of emotions that we would rather just not deal with. Anger, frustration, unfairness. Um, lean into those. Uh, uh, you know, maybe you're not happy with your situation. Maybe you're, you're terrified that you're in debt. But taking action, uh, taking responsibility, calling up your lender or getting help from nonprofit credit counselor or what have you, you're going to feel so much better. Even just opening up your bills and knowing what you owe and the payment due dates and all of that type of stuff, that can be a huge relief just to get that in your calendar. And I just have to say there is always a solution, always. It might not be perfect. Even if it's the road to bankruptcy, there's recovery afterwards. But don't wait too long. Don't wait till you're missing payments. Don't wait till you're not sleeping. If that is you, then you really need to take action. But I promise you, you're just going to feel so much better once you know your situation, what your options are. Now you have a plan of attack as opposed to just worrying and catastrophizing. Because if you don't know what your situation is, you're probably worrying about it a lot more than you should. And you're not looking for other opportunities to bring in more money or save money, that's for sure, because you're just too stressed to deal with it. So take a deep breath, be courageous. 
um, reach out for help and, and know that there's always, always a solution. I love that. Uh, It's impossible to fix or resolve any financial situation if you don't know the details required to um, move to the next step. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been incredibly helpful. And I'm hoping, you know, our listeners will be able to use this in their day-to-day lives and it'll all work out. I do too. I do too. Yep. Be brave. Take a deep breath. Uh, You can do it. Thanks, Takara. Pleasure to be with you. (laughs) Thanks. Kelly Keene, a personal finance educator and best-selling author of over 10 finance books. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN or talk to us anytime via email at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also call us at 416-935-5935. I'm Takara Small, sitting in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings this week. We'll talk to you tomorrow.